Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. I'll only be a minute. Come in with me. What is HomeSense anyway? Look, outdoor furniture is in. Hey, that's a great brand. And it's a six-piece set. Check out this price. Are you sure that's not just the no, table? No, chairs too. Is this an outdoor rug? It is. It's nicer than our indoor rug. Outdoor ottomans, planters, patio umbrellas. Are you seeing these prices? You save a lot at HomeSense. This is the year we love our backyard. Can I say something? Yes. I'll get the truck. And that is why I love you. Save on outdoor like never before at HomeSense. Discover a store near you at HomeSense.com. Two and two. Abreu on the ground, left hand side. Polanco. Jose beat it out. This ball game is tied. Abreu another two strike RBI. And now Eloy Jimenez rips one down the left field line. The Sox are going to take the lead. Gilmer Sanchez scores. Eloy's got a surprise for Sergio Romo, and it's four to three. Seventh inning runs. This ball club is deadly. First pitch swing in the air. Luis Robert makes the catch. And in a year when so many of us have had to be a part we all will journey together into October with the White Sox for the first time in 12 years. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. White Sox are going to the playoffs. Woohoo! Yes, thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. And it's Thursday night, September 17th, 2020, and the Chicago White Sox have clinched their first postseason berth since 2008. Thank you to everyone listening on Twitter and on Mixler.com slash SoxMachine and on SoxMachine.com. And of course, we are in a very happy mood. The Chicago White Sox won three out of four games 
against the Minnesota Twins. A very impressive series by the White Sox. They won another nail-biter. Game 1 was a great game, and uh, Game 4 was also a highly contested affair as the White Sox came out on top thanks to an offensive surge during the 7th inning to win that game 4-3. to three. As the White Sox won three out of four against the Minnesota Twins, and they split the 10-game series against the Twins in 2025 games apiece. And the Chicago White Sox are 33-17 and with 10 games left to go, and they got a two-game lead in the American League Central. On this episode, we'll recap that series, look ahead to Cincinnati as the White Sox have to do some roster shuffling, and believe it or not, we got to start thinking about the postseason roster. Ah, how crazy is this? So joining me now to help calm me down is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The Chicago White Sox are going to the postseason. Yeah, I guess. What the hell? <laughs> I, just, I just had to counter your energy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's great, and it's yeah, it's great the way they did it. They didn't back into the uh, you know magic number of zero by another team losing while getting blown out or anything like that. They didn't beat up on a lesser team that still invited the same questions that they've had for most of the season. They beat their direct rival to do so. They came from behind. They uh, they they showed more composure. They looked like the more mature team uh, you know over the course of the four games. Uh, they looked about even in terms of talent, but the White Sox just didn't look outclassed at all. They actually looked like they're the ones who have been there before. So there was a lot to like, and uh, it's just unfortunate that the stadiums are empty because uh, yeah, this is something that you'd like to see celebrated by 30,000-plus fans. You would. I don't think they would get 30,000-plus fans, though, on a Thursday afternoon game. I don't even remember on who the original scheduled contest was if they kept the... 162 game season. I had, I always download the White Sox schedule onto my Google Calendar, so it alerts me when the White Sox game is about to start. And it was doing that for the original 2020 schedule, Jim. Mm. And I was, uh, I was getting angry at it, so I finally deleted it last week. And now I'd just be curious that in another alternate universe, what would be that game the White Sox would have originally been scheduled for if they had clinched the postseason in a normal 162-game season on September 17, 2020. And now I don't know because I deleted it. Ah, such a fool. (laughs) Oh, well. But as you mentioned, yes, the Chicago White Sox clinching the postseason against the Minnesota Twins, uh, which is always a terrific fashion. I think the Twins are the chief rival. Sure, if you want to make the case that the Detroit Tigers are or the Cleveland Indians, I will hear you out, and I think you would have a pretty good case, but I think the the chief rival for the White Sox in the American League Central, in my opinion, is the Minnesota Twins, so it's always great that they came out and they won this game coming from behind and overcoming Kenta Maeda, who is definitely going to be in the top three for the American League Scion voting, so a terrific performance by the White Sox. But Jim, let's be selfish for a moment. You have been writing about this team for 15 seasons. This is going to be the first time you're going to be writing about playoff games in 12 years, man. How are you feeling about the White Sox making the postseason? 
I'm feeling good. I'm trying. Yeah, I was trying to do a rough count, and uh, I got uh, thrown off in the middle of it because it takes a lot of work. But trying to figure out how many posts I've written in between the last White Sox postseason oh, appearance and Lord. now thousands, and thousands of them, and hundreds, hundreds of thousands of words. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a long time. And you know, just to think that you know, back in 2008 when like Dwayne Wise, the first iteration of Dwayne Wise, was the <laughs> Savior, because Carlos Quentin went down, and yeah, and the Griffey, and just all these kind of weird tangents or just offshoots. Nothing, you know, no fixtures, you know, kind of in in the middle of it. Just uh, yeah, brief fascinations, and 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 uh, you know, just guys with supernova starts that just uh, faded out. And the nice thing about this one is that it doesn't feel lucky. It feels like a year early, maybe. You know, just you know, maybe in a 162 game season. Uh, the White Sox might have had some depth issues that they might have had to contend with. And so, you know, maybe they wouldn't be on like a 105-1 pace or whatever they're on right now. You know, maybe they'd have to fight for a wild card spot and the depth of the other teams in the Central would maybe win out. But, you know, the season is what it is, so you can't really, you know, feel guilty about it. But just, you know, all these guys are young. They're figuring it out. Uh, and you hope in some cases they haven't hit their peak yet. And that's the nice thing about this is it feels a little bit more secure, and you're not just hoping for like one year patches working out. And, and uh, I'm thinking back to 2012 when you had all these 30 year olds, you know, 30 plus year olds who were, you know, battling back injuries and right. shoulder injuries and just, you know, trying to hold together before it all fell apart. And this doesn't feel like that. It feels like there's a lot more upside still uh, to the point where, you know, maybe the upside doesn't materialize into like a better win pace, but just a, a, a team that can hold up for, a schedule that's nearly three times the length, but for the time being, you know, a schedule uh, being the only schedule in front of them, they're doing what they need to do. And it's pretty, pretty awesome. So one of our longtime supporters of this show and of Sox machine, a loyal Patreon supporter, Andrew Seagull tweeted this to us, Jim in August of 2017, when I reviewed the podcast and iTunes and back then we were we were running Southside Sox. You were running Southside Sox, Jim, on SB Nation when he wrote this review. And he said, I wrote, I can't imagine what they will do when the White Sox make the playoffs, but I know for sure I will be listening. So Andrew's asking us, what's the plan? And I had to make the joke that I'd blow off the dust of the postseason plan for this podcast from 2016. Believe it or not, notebooks get a little bit dusty over four years. The last time that I thought the White Sox realistically could make the postseason. And uh, I guess, should we make that announcement as far as our conversations off the air and what we are thinking about doing yeah, sure. for the playoffs? Yeah, and, okay. and, and first of all, or I should say, and also cheers to Andrew for living up to his word because he is indeed still listening. Yeah, he he did not forget about that. I mean, that is a that is a tweet three years in the making, Andrew. That is quite impressive. Okay, so Jim and I talked about this last week off the air, and what we're going to be doing for Sox Machine is that we're going to be giving you a pregame and postgame podcast. So we're going to go pregame live on SoxMachine.com and on Mixer.com as well. Uh, we may invite other voices as well uh, to help carry the load. You, you know them as far as like Greg Nix and Patrick Knowles, P. Knowles, 
may join us as far as the, the pregame show and the postgame show. So we're, we'll have a pregame for you to kind of help set up the stage. I know it's it's fun listening to Chuck Garfine and Ozzie Guillen, but when you get into the postseason, you, you kind of lose out on the NBC Sports Chicago and you get the ESPN broadcast. And let's face it, we've been making fun of ESPN forever, and uh, they're going to know jack squat about this White Sox team. And not to sound too cocky, but... Yeah, we're going to know more about the White Sox and what they're going to be doing and prepping for those postseason games in ESPN. Uh, so we'll carry it as far as the pregames before the game starts, and uh, we'll come back after the games as well as far as dissecting what happens in those postseason games uh, with the postgame show. And we'll be doing that for every single postgame. Uh, so it could be as few as two games that we're talking about uh, or as many as I believe it's 13 to win the World Series. You need to win 13 postseason games uh, this year. Uh, I'm rooting for 13 broadcasts, so keep us busy. Uh, but that's what we have planned right now as far as the pa- podcast, Andrew. So we're going to be carrying a pre- and post-game show uh, for every postseason game, uh, which will be very exciting. It'll be a little bit taxing. But it's fine. We're psyched. It's been 12 long years since the last time the Chicago White Sox have made the postseason. And never in and podcast uh, history. This is our first true. time. We've been doing the podcast for quite a while. Like probably, I think it's about half as old as I've been writing about it. I think it's roughly the halfway point of my writing career. So Yeah, we, we, yeah. we started in the 2014 season, Jim. Okay, so not quite, yeah. Season. Still quite yeah. a yeah, a couple of years before reached. But yeah, it's been we we've really only had one season where we thought it might be possible. So it's been yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yep. we had some great tweets that came in. Uh Tom Paints who does a terrific job as far as painting awesome White Sox moments. He tweeted at us, glad they were the first team to do it in the American League, which is true. The Los Angeles Dodgers have clinched the playoff spot. The White Sox are the second team in Major League Baseball to clinch a playoff spot. And Tom continued writing, and glad they did it versus the reigning American League Central champs. A lot has been said about the amount of teams to make it this year. So being the first feels special. It feels like the White Sox have earned it. Uh, Kevin uh, Melquini on Twitter also tweeted as Jim. I feel like even bigger than clinching a playoff spot, this win by winning a series against the Twins and clinching the tiebreaker over them was a defining moment for this group of guys and shows what they can do when it really matters. And Jim, Kevin makes an excellent point. The fact that the White Sox have split the season series against the Minnesota Twins If these two teams tie for the division lead at the end of the season, the tiebreaker first between two teams is head-to-head. After that, it's divisional record. And because the Twins struggled so much this season against the Royals and Tigers, the advantage would go to the White Sox. So I have to say, Jim, I know it's not that important that the White Sox win the American League Central but you got to feel real good about their chances of winning this division now in 2020, winning three out of four against the Twins. Yeah, I'm looking up the division record right now for each team because I know the White Sox went uh, 18 and two against the Tigers and Royals. So yeah, the White Sox have a uh, six-game edge in the loss column in AL Central, and they only have <laughs> uh, four more games against an AL yeah. Central team. So yeah, they've they've locked that in. So if they can at least tie the Twins. Uh, they they should prevail. And you know what's crazy? 
for so for all those that are listening to us right now on SoxMachine.com and in Sox Machine Live, White Sox fans this weekend are Chicago Cubs fans because the Twins are going from guaranteed rate field to Wrigley Field to play a three-game series against the Chicago Cubs this weekend. So this may be a first, but go Cubs! Sweep the Twins! Make it a lot easier for the White Sox to win the division. Oh, I, uh, I was rooting for them against Cleveland. That uh, that uh, hit-by-pitch walk-off. Oh, God. I found yeah, Like, I celebrated that. I was like, huh, that's relatively novel. Yeah, it is novel. And with Cleveland, I... <laughs> And I, I I love our former crewmates at SB Nation. Let's go tribe. They they do such a great job, you know, Matt and the crew. But I kind of feel bad at the same time for Cleveland Indians fans because they're kind of in this weird transition, right, Jim? You know, we know that Francisco Lindor at some point is going to be leaving that baseball team. And when he does leave that baseball team, it will significant it will signify a huge transition for that ball club. For them to lose seven straight games, and now they are the eighth seed, it's a bit shocking. I hope that they find a way to regroup and become the seventh seed. And we did get that question on on which team do you not want to see in the postseason. And with the White Sox clinching this postseason, I guess we can answer this question truthfully, Jim. I don't think I want to see Cleveland in the first round for the White Sox because that means it's Shane Bieber and Zach Plesak. And both Plesak and Bieber have proven that they can shut down this White Sox lineup. So I'm hoping Cleveland regroups on the games outside of the White Sox next week and uh, even this weekend and uh, stop the losing. Uh, looks th- Things are looking good right now against the Detroit Tigers for them. Bieber was on the mound against Casey Mize, and last I looked, they had a 5 to nothing lead. Uh, but hopefully Cleveland finds a way to become the seventh seed because I'd rather have the White Sox face the Toronto Blue Jays than the Cleveland Indians yeah. in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, Toronto, just the way they've looked against the Yankees uh, all week, <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, where I'm leaning in terms of uh, which opponent looks preferable. Yeah, the Bieber is just a tough matchup in a three-game series, especially uh, just the opener. Uh, yeah, then all of a sudden it's, you know, having to beat Plesak, you know, having to. <laughs> Not just like right. falling behind 2 nothing, but having to. So, yeah, I'm with you there that just Cleveland is not a great matchup for this team. I mean, they did beat Maeda, which is, I think, a nice feather in their cap, but they did so with a couple solo homers. And, you know, the uh, the at-bats necessarily weren't quality. A lot of fastballs taken down the middle, uh, no walks, eight strikeouts. So not really a replicable kind of success they had against them. But uh, that, that, that is a nice thing, though, about these wins against Minnesota, against uh, right-handed pitching, um, you know, like Brios, like, um, you know, like Maeda to where you just look at it and say like, okay, you know, they've, they've beaten better pitchers. They're not, they shouldn't feel uniquely vulnerable. You know, they might know they have tough time or might have to be like pounding their head, like, okay, settle for opposite field singles. You know, I just don't you know, roll over the ball, but at least there is a reason to believe that, you know, they're not outclassed slashed overmatched. And Janice on Twitter, uh, which she writes for, uh, the Southside hit pen over on um, Sports Illustrated. She tweeted at us, just thinking a lot about Jose Abreu and how he had to play through some very dark years to get to this point. And I think that's a good transition, Jim, because we should talk about Jose Abreu in this moment. Because without Jose Abreu, the White Sox do not clinch today against the Minnesota Twins. Down one to nothing, Abreu hit that home run against Maeda to tie the game. 
And when they're down 3-2, to two, runners on the corners, Jose Abreu hits a grounder in the hole where Jorge Polanco, the shortstop of the Minnesota Twins, fields it. And just me describing that, if you didn't watch the game, you're probably thinking, well, Abreu gets thrown out. But instead, Jose Abreu, whose average speed, sprint speed, is about 26 feet per second. And league average speed, sprint speed, is 27 seconds. Uh, yeah, 27 feet per second, I'm sorry. So 27 feet per second would be a 50-grade sprint score uh, when we're scouting players, okay? And Abreu averaged 26.6, so he's a below-average sprinter. On that ground ball, Jose Abreu sprinted 28 feet per second and easily beat out that ground ball. If you are a fan of the movie Major League, Jose Abreu, Jake tailored it. If you understand that reference at the end of the movie where Jake Taylor laid down the bunt and beat out the throw to first base so Willie Mays Hayes scored all the way from second base in that, in that movie. That was a movie, but in a game, Jose Abreu beat out an infield single so Gerard Dyson could score the game-tying run and give an opportunity for Aloy Jimenez to provide the game-winning hit, which we'll get to in a moment. But Jim, all season long, especially his big week that he had against the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago Cubs, launching himself into the MVP conversation, every single American League MVP has that moment in their season that you look back and say, this is when they won that award. This is when they proved to be most valuable. And I feel like in this game for the White Sox to clinch their first postseason berth in 12 years, for Jose Abreu to clinch the first opportunity for himself to make the postseason, he provided the MVP moments that the White Sox needed. Yeah, that takes me back to uh, it was Matt Adams on, on Twitter. He was, uh, he was at the catbird seat when that was around for a baseball prospectus. He mentioned uh, Alexi Ramirez and said Alexi Ramirez made the postseason in his first year, big part of it, and he thought it was going to be a regular thing. <laughs> he just felt like horrible for the way like the rest of Alexi's career played out. Like a, he was a good White Sox who just uh, was on teams that never could find the same magic. And so like Abreu's had the opposite thing where he's just been uh, toiling for a team that has not uh, lived up to his standards and his production. So when the White Sox extended him and, you know, the all the controversy in terms of not necessarily for bringing him back, like that wasn't the problem. It was just you know, for three years and 50 million and, uh, you know, being a right-handed slugger in his 30s and how that market wasn't there for him and the White Sox were maybe too generous. And we've seen it before with the White Sox getting too attached, like with Paul Konerko's last year that kind of got in the way of Marcus Semyon getting playing time and trading him for Samarja. You know, that, that, that uh, was a... Uh, a fan favorite move that a lot of people wanted to see, but people who wanted to see the White Sox get better kind of saw that getting in the way. And I think there was that uh, divide with some fans. I mean, Abreu still has more baseball to give than Canerco had in his last year, but there's that same thought to where they're just over-investing in a player who's not going to be able to, you know, his career is not on the same curve as the rest of the team, and they hope that it doesn't get in the way. And, you know, we've seen, you know, the White Sox loyalty, you know, especially like Robin Matura, you're thinking just of all the uh, ways they've gotten in trouble with being too loyal to favorites and thinking like they're not, 
you know, they're not good enough at overcoming some of the obstacles that they put in their way. And, and that was the fear underneath it. A lot of history beneath that fear. It wasn't unreasonable. Um, might have been a bit uncharitable to a Bray who hadn't yet, you know, fully declined, but just still, yeah, I understood the fear entirely. But to see him not only being like a good first baseman, but having a career year, being a centerpiece of this run. And it's not just like charity or not just, you know, fortune that he's like riding along with other people driving. And he, that's how he's getting into the postseason is just by, uh, you know, uh, I guess engendering enough goodwill that he got to tag along on this. He's the one driving it. And so, you know, it, it, he's making up for lost time and that this is, he was good enough for him to be the central figure of postseason teams years ago. And so I'm glad that he's been able to keep that window open long enough to where he's a big part of it. He's in the center of the lineup. He's leading the league in RBIs. He's, you know, MVP candidate, if not the front runner. Like that's just uh, something I did not see coming. And it's not like we're making this big stretch, right? This is what typically happens in the last, I don't know, eight seasons or however long Mike Trout has been playing baseball for the Los Angeles Angels. That outside of Trout, you have to make a big stretch because the advanced metrics tell you easily that the best player in the league is Mike Trout. Mm -hmm. But if you look at wins above replacement in this crazy 2020 season, Jim, 50 games through, Abreu is right there. You don't have to make this huge stretch to try to make this convincing argument to the Baseball Writers Association to vote for Jose Abreu because if they pull up fan graphs or they pull up baseball reference, Jose Abreu is right there. And if you love the counting stats, which we talked about our dirty little secret as far as this the normal counting stat that we both love is RBIs. Uh Abreu leads the league in RBIs. He was the first player to hit 50 get to 50 RBIs and then he got to RBI 51 tying the game. So if you love the normal counting stats, if you love the advanced metrics to great players on this award, Jim, he's keeping pace right there with Mike Trout. So I don't think this is just one of these Homer MVP picks that were, you know, stomping for our hometown guy to win the award. Jose Abreu is keeping pace with Mike Trout. And at this point, I think he's very deserving of the award. Yeah, I'm looking at Trout stats now and just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And I think, you know, the defense, I think that's one problem with using wins above replacement for this season, like less than half a season is that, you know, it takes at least a full season for defensive metrics to stabilize sometimes for some positions or uh, depending on just how much of an outlier it is, sometimes you need multiple seasons for defensive metrics to stabilize. So I wonder if fans are looking at wins above replacement or if writers are looking at wins above replacement, trying to formulate arguments, uh, this is probably the year to not be so strict with it just because, um, you know, defensive metrics do play a big part in it. And, uh, you know, if you see some big divides between two of them and, and there are some big discrepancies right now between fan graphs and baseball reference that you might not want to put too much stock in a, uh, you know, in, in that kind of analytic, you might just want to, uh, take the tangible stats, the counting stats, the ones that prove what you know, documented, what happened, what definitely happened over the course of the game. So that's where I think that, you know, it's not necessarily cherry picking to say, you know, wins above replacement is wrong this year because Abreu second or third or whatever. Just more of a matter of just the integrity of, you know, a big component of the stat not quite being, not quite having the normal sample size it needs in order to be something that, 
you feel good about banking a big argument on. And I know that we've heard from Steve Stone, and it's a very popular um, you know divide between writers and and you know I guess uh, traditional baseball writers and baseball fans versus uh, more progressive baseball fans and writers that you know valuable means good or or best it doesn't mean valuable doesn't mean like what they did in a winning team you shouldn't have to Mike Trout shouldn't need better teammates in order to get recognized for being the best in the game uh but in this case you know the way I look at it is if you're playing in more important games and if your team's winning I kind of use it as a tiebreaker like all things being equal uh it's worth you know paying attention to the guy who's facing probably more uh, you know, relievers who are leveraged against him. Yes, you designed specifically to face him. Uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking about when it comes to formulating an argument. So, if that's the case where they're basically neck and neck, and you know, one might have an edge in, like you know, Trout has an edge in walks and such, and getting on base and getting pitched around, and they're both there in batting average and slugging. Yeah, you know, just they're more or less. Uh, close, except for maybe some of the you know on base stuff and, and center field defense where Trout usually you know pads his margin. Uh, in this case, with such a small sample, they might be close enough to where you can just say you know we're paying attention more to what actually happened in the box score this time around because we don't know exactly how good a defender somebody is by the number, and uh, and then go from there. So should it you know should these numbers basically be what they are through the end of the season? And there isn't some terrible. 10 game slump around the corner that dramatically changes the, uh, the comparison. then I think it's, you know, fair for people to think Abreu is the player of the season. There are a couple of topics that I'd like to touch on as far as recapping the series between the white Sox and the Minnesota twins. The first one I want to touch on is the pitching and, uh, in particular two pitchers, Dane Dunning and Ronaldo Lopez. I know that White Sox fans are tired of Ronaldo Lopez, but hat tip to Ronaldo Lopez. It's clear at this point in the stage of his career that he's probably a number five starter. So for him to go out and oppose Kenta Maeda, which Maeda right now, for those that are listening, is going to finish in the top three in the American League Scion. He's right there with Giolito and Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. Bieber's going to probably win the award because he's just been awesome this year. But in this fourth game, Ronaldo Lopez in five and a third innings only allowed four hits, three earned runs, one walk, and six strikeouts. The three earned runs were solo home runs, all of them, uh, to Buxton twice uh, and Josh Donaldson, uh, which Donaldson ended up getting ejected for. <laughs> Actually worked in his yeah. favor. So great job, Lopez. He may have hit a home run, but you found a way to get Donaldson out of the game. And then Dunning. To go through seven innings and only allow two runs, I, I think at some point in August, Jim, if you if you told me that Lopez and Dunning are going to play a huge factor in the White Sox clinching a postseason berth, I would have not believed you. But here we are, and Dunning was excellent, and he passed his first big test of the major leagues. And then Lopez comes back, and it's a bit of a redemption story. He's facing the second-best offense in the American League, and he holds his ground against an AL Cy Young contender. And I think from the White Sox perspective, you can't ask for any anything more from Rick Renteria's point of view than what he got out of Dane Dunning and Ronaldo Lopez this week. Yeah, before uh, Lopez gave up the uh, solo shot to Donaldson, which gave him three runs and five and a third, 
I was uh, about to tweet, or I was waiting for the inning to, well, either Lopez to be pulled after five or maybe get through six and say that uh, for the second straight series, Lucas Giolito had the worst start, which is, uh, you know, between uh, Dunning and, and Lopez and Giolito, Giolito had been lagging behind. So that's both, you know, yeah, that can be both bad and good, but I think Giolito pitched decently, you know, unremarkably, you know, he kept him in the game, wasn't quite himself or at least his most dominant form, but Dunning and Lopez stepped up and, yeah, I think Lopez is just, he, he's making the most out of what is a lost season. I think, you know, having the shoulder injury early um, knocked him off course. We don't know exactly how good he would have been because he's already on the ropes anyway when it came to holding down a starting rotation spot for an entire season. But, you know, having the shoulder issue, losing velocity in his first start, coming back, not having 98 anymore, topping out at 96, occasionally 97, rather than 98 with occasionally 99, uh, you know, coming back a little bit more movement on his fastball, a little bit better slider control, but then kind of, you know, losing power, having stamina issues, you know, when it comes to the fourth and fifth innings, it seems like these last two starts have been like the best we can hope from him and, uh, helping turn another day on the calendar in both cases, you know, getting wins, uh, you know, he definitely didn't hurt the cause, but even if like they lost a pitching duel or lost like say, you know, three to two or five to three or something, at least gave him a chance to win, didn't tax the bullpen, uh, and got the day, uh, got the White Sox a day closer to the postseason. So that's why I look at him and just say, this is about the best he can do. And it's, you know, nice to see him, you know, head back to Schaumburg. And when he headed back to Schaumburg, there was some, uh, consternation among fans that he didn't really understand the stakes or he underestimated his, the, the, uh, how poor his performance was and, you know, that he was maybe getting a little bit too, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, overstating or, or overthinking his own importance to the club. But, you know, it's a lot of ways you could take the way he uh, handled or, or immediately reacted to his, uh, his next start and his demotion to Schaumburg. But he came back and he looked a little bit better. He didn't have... He wasn't all the way back, but at least he was more competitive, throwing more competitive pitches, establishing himself better early. And, you know, until he gets like a full off season and a full spring training to you know, ramp up properly and to see what he has left. I think this is about as best as we can hope for. And then the, the second thing from a White Sox perspective. So again, Abreu came with the tying hit. But Aloy Jimenez came through in a big way, Jim, to provide the game-winning hit in Game 4. And he struck out three times, and then he attacked that first fastball that he saw uh, from Sergio Romo to pull it down the left field line for an RBI double. And I think it's very fitting for all of those that have been listening to the Sox Machine podcast and been reading Jim's work from the first version of Sox Machine to Southside Sox, back to Sox Machine, and listening to this podcast over the last seven seasons, it was Yomer Sanchez scoring the game-winning run for the Chicago White Sox. I find that to be very fitting for all those that have survived the rebuilding years and celebrating right now. But for Aloy Jimenez, that having that big moment now in his career, is he the guy to follow Jose Abreu in this lineup moving forward? Instead of having Yasmani Grandal or even Edwin Carnacion that we've seen in the past few weeks, even months of this season, Jim. I think so. I think, you know, either one batting in front of Abreu or batting after him, depending on the matchup. I do like Grandal in the second spot, especially against a righty, just because he's more competitive against righties, especially good ones. 
than some hitters and you know, either see a lot of pitches, draw walks, keep the line moving, get guys on base, get traffic against Abreu, make it harder to pitch around him or throw him junk that he might uh, give into. So I don't mind uh, having Grandall there, even if he isn't like the prototypical second hitter. You know, he isn't, he, he's, a, he's a base clogger, one of the slowest sprint speeds in baseball. So you're not going to get uh, somebody scoring from first uh, to home a lot with him. But in the interest of just having traffic, having incessant scoring chances, I think he's been a big part of the season and a big part of uh, just why the White Sox feel more dangerous. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes he's frustrating to watch. Like the homers quite haven't, haven't quite been there as they were last year and uh, sometimes too selective, sometimes lets too many hittable pitches go uh, and gets rung up on ones off the plate, you know, puts his at-bats in the umpire's hands. But, you know, just the patience and walks he's drawn and how, you know, Yohan Makata's drawn more walks too, <laughs> I would say, uh uh, the finale notwithstanding with the Golden Sombrero, but just having more guys who can get on base, see more pitches. I think Eloy has settled too into drawing more walks and, and being a bit more selective that there's just more uh, responsibility spread out among most lineup to where it feels like their scoring chances abound. Uh, uh, you know, if they don't get a key hit with runners in scoring position, that wasn't the chance you know, they'll be able to uh, generate one in the next couple innings because uh, either it'll go to the top of the order or having Nick Magical in, in the ninth spot is also a nice little feature uh, for him turning the lineup over. So a lot of ways this lineup can get you, and you know, whether it's instant offense or just, uh, you know, racking up pitches and, 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 and causing headaches for uh, bullpen management, that's, I think, the, the nicest thing. And so, you know, whether it's Jimenez batting behind Abreu or in front of him, depending on the matchup, I think just having those three in a row I think is uh, valuable because uh, Grandal generally is, you know, the best at getting on base in and of itself. Uh, and then when it comes to you know, just having somebody on base for Abreu and then Jimenez uh, behind them to have two cracks at getting somebody home, I think that's that's what's important in, in having this offense go is just sustained chances, whether it's in an inning or uh, in consecutive or at least like two out of three innings. So on that topic of sustained chances that you just mentioned, my third point from this series, Jim, what do the White Sox do with Yohan Makata? It is pretty clear that after trying to play through four straight games, that for those that play MVP the show on PlayStation, that Makata looked like he was at 40% energy. Like there, You could just tell the bat speed is suffering, and, and we know what he's going through. He's not healing at a normal rate that he was last year, game in and game out. Do the White Sox give him the weekend off, which is which was my first idea? And then there were a lot of fans that were saying, listen, you clinched the postseason, put him on the 10-day IL, give him the last 10 games off, and bring him back rested for the postseason. So if you were in Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria's ear, what would you advise the White Sox to do with Yohan Makata at this moment? I don't see a point in putting him on the IL because the roster is big enough that it's easy to forget some guys are on the roster. Um, you know, when, when Danny Mendick went down to Schaumburg and he had Yolmer Sanchez, I was like, oh, they lost their utility infielder. What are they going to do? Oh, yeah, Yolmer's there. Like, I just hadn't seen Yolmer in a while, so it was easy to forget that he was on the roster. So I think there are enough extra spots, and uh, with the way the bullpen seems to be being managed with extra arms, um, you know, with Jose Ruiz coming up and probably going down just to be able to pad the bullpen, that they can probably just store him on the roster, give him a few days off in a row. 
based on what you know has been said about um, you know Mankata's COVID experience and what some people on Sox Machine have said about COVID and just the battle coming back is that it's not like a a linear um, recovery. You know, it's not just like you you, know, you lose your battery, you charge it back up, you get back out there. It's just more there. It's more good days and bad, unpredictable and frustrating. And I think that's why the White Sox have been. Uh, reluctant to put him on the IL is because they've had the, uh, you know, they had that one week before this uh, final stretch where they had two off days in, in the week and a soft schedule and people thought, you know, there's their chance. And then they uh, kept him on the roster. He had a really good series against Pittsburgh where he looked full strength. And that kind of proved to me like, okay, that, that's generally what they're looking for is trying to manage him, trying to capitalize on his good days and keep him engaged well enough to where there won't be any rust when he has good days. And I think that's been the general idea. Yeah, there are some games like uh, the finale where he strikes out four times and just he's not there. And, uh, you know, there have been other ones as well where you can just see the bat dragging and the speed isn't there. What are, you know, the, the throws are are um, rainbows. You just It's not working for him. And I think that's just going to be the balance that Renteria has been trying to strike the entire time. And I think he's generally done a good job of it. And I think there's a case now that they've clinched and they have a couple games cushion on the Twins to where they can start Yolmer. At third, you know, Yolmer's been giving him okay at bats and playing good defense, aside from that one error that he made. Uh, so it's worth giving him a shot. He's a major league player. There's no harm in doing that. And then if you get away with it, maybe you give him another start. Or if Mancada's feeling great, put him back in the lineup. But I think it's going to be a matter of good days and bad. Uh, and then trying to be in good enough position to where they have everything lined up. Maybe they get the uh, home, you know, I, I guess the home field for, uh, uh, you know, the first round and then the, the, the best seed the rest of the way. But maybe that's the case where, um, you know, they, they try to line him up for the postseason just like they would their pitchers if they feel like they can do it without losing too much. That's a good point. That That is a good point that you mentioned as far as lining up Makata. It's just at this point, Jim, I would be okay if Renteria said, Yoan, you get the weekend off. We're going to mm-hmm. sit you for three games. We're going to have Yomer play third. And uh, we're still going to have you available just in case of pinch hit situations. And I may use you in those situations, but I really need you for those first two games against Cleveland, because if the White Sox can win the first two games against Cleveland, then you got to feel really good about their chances of clinching the American league central, especially if the Cubs can take care of business at home at Wrigley field against the Minnesota twins. But in that last game, he went over four for four strikeouts. Clearly, did not want to touch any fastball that was even in the strike zone, uh, that was above ninety-five miles per hour. He just looked tired, Jim. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way I can describe you on Makata, and, and we know why. He has fully admitted that because of him being tested positive for COVID-19 and being impacted by COVID-19, he is not recovering at a normal rate. And and it was pretty clear in this series, he started the series well, but as I watched him over the four straight games, he can't play four straight games, Jim. And I really worry about his ability to perform for the White Sox in the postseason. And I think that for the White Sox fans listening to this right now, you need to mentally prepare that Yomer Sanchez may have to start a postseason game at third base just because Yohan Makata needs a day off and the fact that Major League Baseball decided no off days during these series. They're going to play all three, all five, all seven games back-to-back until the World Series. Yeah, I'm looking at Mankata's game log right now and uh, 
Five games, uh, including the first game of the Minnesota series. He reached base 11 times in five games. Uh, yeah, a couple doubles, um, three walks. Looked good. And then the final three games of the Minnesota series, he went uh, 0 for 12 with uh, seven strikeouts. So it's going to be uh, a case where it's just, yeah, load management. That's basically the NBA term, the uh, you know NHL term, just sports, health in general. You know, it's been a popular phrase, and I think that's going to be the heart of how they get Moncada across the finish line. And I think generally they've done a pretty good job with it. I think the only concern in, is just, you know, if there are any adverse long-term effects from doing this. And it seems like, you know, everybody is figuring out as they go along. It's a, a novel coronavirus, <laughs> you know, uh, novel being a very key word that nobody that really knows how to do that. There's really no game plan for uh, recovering. And, you know, it's his, uh, it's his livelihood and, you know, as as troublesome as the season has been, like his walk rate has jumped up. So I mean, he's he's had some uh, uh, some moments, and he's also had some nice you know developments when it comes to restoring some of the walk rate that he lost. Uh, so you know he does provide some help for this offense, even if he isn't full strength. So as long as it's not doing any kind of long term damage, or it's not like you know sapping his energy, or not going to be uh, you know, not making his big picture recovery like his full hundred percent recovery from COVID any. Uh, more prolonged by playing him now, then I think they're probably doing about as well as they can given the you know lack of options at third base behind him. But yeah, I think they've done well enough and he's done well enough and he's not doing well enough now to where they can't start Yolmer for a few games and I wouldn't really question it. And the last point I want to make about this series, I am tired of watching Byron Buxton and I am done. I am done <laughs> this season Watching Byron Buxton have Buxton torment the remaining teams on the Minnesota Twins schedule as far as 2020 and when they ultimately inevitably face the New York Yankees in the first round of the playoffs, let him torture the Yankees pitching staff and have the Yankees beat the Twins again in the postseason uh, because I'm done. I am done watching Byron Buxton torture the White Sox. He had a terrific series and a hat tip to Byron Buxton. I I think if I can add one more point, um, just the the Josh Donaldson thing I thought was fascinating. (laughs) Him getting ejected in his own homer and the White Sox beating the Twins kind of because of that. You know, not entirely clear. It's not that one thing, you know, his absence wasn't the one determining factor in how the rest of the game played out, but it definitely played a part. And it was uh, a thread all weekend with the series and just the twins looking really upset and agitated. Like you had uh, their multiple Tylers getting angry on the mound. You had Baldelli getting thrown out from a game. Nelson Cruz getting thrown out from a game. You had Donaldson getting thrown out. You had Rosario yelling down the first baseline. You know, part of that is the White Sox having good framers and two good framers. And I think that's what we've been missing the last few years is just being able to get, opponents frustrated uh by borderline pitches uh and the white Sox haven't had that for you know since the tyler flowers days mainly uh so that's kind of cool but also like just you know thinking back to you know other white Sox meltdowns like i'm thinking of the 2012 uh september when robin ventura looked overwhelmed and how the royals with, with gerard dyson uh, and Terrence Gore just ran all over the White Sox and made uh, made them look like amateurs trying to hold base runners and in compelling errors from the defense. 
And this time, you know, had you had uh, Gerard Dyson on base stealing a couple bases. You had him almost getting thrown off at first, but Max Kepler not completing that play. And because Kepler didn't complete the play, you know, Dyson was able to score. You just had these, uh, you know, various wrinkles that we've seen the White Sox get beat by when they just weren't good enough. And it was nice to see the White Sox um, sticking it to the Twins when either they thought they were good enough to willingly get one of their best players thrown out of the game to make a point to the umpire because they're unhappy or they were just like in their heads enough to where they just had that much frustration to where it just manifested itself in such strange ways that the White Sox were ultimately able to capitalize on. But either way, it was very refreshing. Also refreshing a little piranha action from the White Sox in game one. Yes. With Adam Engel having the slash to put the White Sox ahead. Yeah. There, there's moment. a lot of there's a lot of ale central history coming out yes. <laughs> like a lot of demons being exercised uh, one way or another yes that was a great moment for the white Sox. okay so the chicago white Sox are going to the postseason they won three out of four games against the minnesota twins and they have a two-game lead in the american league central and based on the post-game comments the white Sox are very happy that they're in the postseason but they want more. You can tell from Tim Anderson and Aloy Jimenez and from manager Rick Renteria, the White Sox would really like to win the division. In order to do so, they got to continue to perform in the last 10 games of the season, including the next three in Cincinnati. Let's preview that next series between the White Sox and Reds next. And for this series between the White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds, the Cincinnati Reds, I don't know if I want to call them zombies, Jim, but they're coming back to life. Uh, looking at this, as far as the National League postseason, they are currently out right now as far as the postseason, but they are the ninth seed. And uh, they are quickly catching up as far as the other National League West teams, the San Francisco Giants and the Colorado Rockies, which finally, I, I thought Cincinnati before the season, Jim, would have been a shoe-in if you're going to expand to eight teams in the postseason. Uh, but they have been struggling a lot. Their starting pitching is terrific, but their offense is incredibly unpredictable. And as far as their offense being incredibly unpredictable, their bullpen has also been terrible this year. Uh, but looking as far as the current postseason standings right now, Cincinnati has crawled back. Not only would they be in the postseason, they would be the sixth seed right now in the National League uh, with a record of 25 and 26. So they're below 500 and the sixth seed. Uh, they would face the Atlanta Braves in the first round of that three game series. So let's take a look at the pitching problems between the White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds. And starting on Friday, September 18th, this game is at 6 10 p.m. Central Time. It is Jonathan Stever on the mound for the Chicago White Sox, making his second major league start. And the Cincinnati Reds have not announced their rotation at all this weekend. Moving over to Saturday for the White Sox, this game's at 6.07 p.m. Central Time for first pitch. This is a national broadcast. This game will be on Fox. So for those that are out of market, tune into Fox and you'll be able to watch this game. Dallas Keuchel makes his return from the 10-day injured list from back spasms, and now he will be starting the Saturday game for the White Sox, and it lines him up for Game 2 of the Wild Card Series. And then Game 3 between the White Sox and the Reds, that is to be determined for both sides. 
But if you're looking at the White Sox rotation, this would either be a Dylan Cease or Dane Dunning start for the Chicago White Sox on Sunday, depending on which way they want to go. And Jim, the White Sox continue to get some good news. Uh, There are some players that look like they're ready to come back, not just Dallas Keuchel, but Aaron Bummer and Carlos Rodon. Uh, we're taking some infield practice at Guarantee Rayfield during this week. So it looks like that they're about ready to join the ball club. And it, with Bummer and Rodon joining the team, that could be really good news for the White Sox because obviously you want those types of arms part of your pitching staff. But unfortunately, you're going to have to send somebody back to Schaumburg. And as we saw with Jose Ruiz joining the team, the White Sox option Danny Mendick down to Schaumburg. And for even for myself, I was a little bit confused with that move. But if the if Aaron Bummer and Carlos Rodon are ready to rejoin the team, in addition to Keuchel, three players have to go back to Schaumburg. So Jim, who would be those players that right now looking at the 20-man 20 28-man roster uh, would be going back to Schaumburg to be replaced by Keuchel, Bummer, and Rodon. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. GEICO presents Motorcycle Word of the Day. Today's word is gremlin. Is a gremlin an unknown and persistent mechanical issue? Or is it something large that gets caught in your teeth when you ride with your mouth open? As in... Man, I gotta stop singing 80s power ballads when I ride. Ugh, keep getting gremlins in my teeth. See? Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Well, I think some of it will be determined by how Jonathan Stever looks on his start. Um, He looked all right in his first outing, his Major League debut against... Detroit, but you could also see a case where like a, a better offense, a deeper offense like the Reds might, you know, give him a harder time. So if he throws, you know, two or three innings, doesn't go well, I can see the White Sox saying, okay, we'll, you know, ship you deck down. We'll bring up our, our, our seasoned arms. We at least saw what his stuff looks like against better competition that wants to embarrass him and have a better idea of how to uh, chart his course going into 2021. So that's one possibility. There's also, depending on what they want to do with Ross Detweiler, since he's been an odd man out, and with Jace Fry looking pretty good this season, seems like they don't need three lefties, uh, especially one low leverage like that. So that's a case we could also, uh, you know, send him back down. And then, you know, it depends on uh, what they want to do with, I guess, their their bench spots or whether it is Moncada, whether it's, uh, you know, Ruiz goes back down. Yeah, there are a few different options. Um, but I think when looking at right now, I think Detweiler, um, Ruiz and Stever would be the three men on my, on my list. Okay. I could see that. I could see that with Stever, as far as his second start, I thought for someone that's never pitched in double a, he held his own in his first start. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, he's making the second start, first time on the road against the Cincinnati Reds, a Reds team that's, I don't want to say feeling frisky, but they're playing a lot better baseball. Yeah, it's a deeper offense. Is there anything in particular that you're looking from Stever to approve upon in his second start when he made his debut? Obviously, he had issues in the first inning, yeah. but 
He looked good in the second in, and the third inning, only pitching twelve pitch, only throwing twelve pitches in the second inning, and then uh, ten pitches in the third inning, uh, with both innings being one, two, three. Yeah, I'm curious whether the jitters will be gone because you know it is still somebody who has you know no high minors experience, no upper level experience. So I can see you know the jitters being a one time thing, but I can also see just adrenaline being a new thing to manage, you know, multiple times in. Uh, so uh, I'm going to keep an eye on that for the first time out. But curveball wasn't all that impressive, I think, for a guy who's high fastball curveball. The fastball carry was evident by how many swinging strikes he got on it, but the curveball wasn't really a threat. So I'd like to see more from that. But uh, I'm hoping that he just has a, you know, whether it's three, four innings again, um, just a respectable outing that doesn't embarrass him, I think, because... This seems to me like the end of the line for him in this season, just because I'm thinking about just, I guess, postseason management and 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 thinking about ways he could be deployed. And I just think he's too unproven for what he has to be somebody Rick Renteria can justify going to a major league game. Like if he comes out of the bullpen and he's throwing like 94, 95 with a curveball, that's maybe not there. There's no reason to pitch him over Cody Hoyer or Matt Foster or, you know, Jimmy Cordero. There's, you know, there's nothing about him that stands out in that small uh, sample, or at least that tailored environment, the way like maybe Garrett Crochet with his high nineties fastball and big slider could feel like he could stand in against lefties. So it would strike me as like, you know, if they kept him on the roster, I don't know why. And I don't know what kind of uh, situations they would give for him that wouldn't be unfair to somebody with that uh, uh, lack of experience. So I'm just hoping that he gets uh, three or four innings, helps, you know, one keeps the White Sox in the game and maybe gets a win out of it, but also just, you know, turns the day over in the calendar, across the day off without compromising the pitching staff all that much with, you know, still more than a week left to go. And again, for the Chicago White Sox, they have a two-game lead over the Minnesota Twins. So hopefully the White Sox continue the way that the way that they have been playing, especially against Minnesota Twins, winning three out of four, go into Cincinnati, win that series, and hopefully the Chicago Cubs help the White Sox and win that series. So if the White Sox win two out of three and the Cubs win out of two out of three, then the White Sox have a three-game lead in the American League Central before heading to Cleveland for a four-game series, which we will be previewing that series on the next episode of the Sox Machine Podcast to be released on Monday morning. And on that podcast, we'll also be recapping all the events that happen in Cincinnati. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. We appreciate you listening to the live stream, but if you missed the live stream, no worries. Every episode is uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, including our newest platform, radio.com and the radio.com app. We do have a couple of marketing items. You can help support us on patreon.com slash Machine, where you receive additional content on an ad-free version of the podcast. Plus, there are levels of support that you can earn Socks Machine swag, including our new coffee mugs. And Jim, how are we doing on the coffee mugs right now? Well, we still have a couple more, so I'll be shipping out more tomorrow, but we still have a, a healthy amount, I would say, uh, don't uh, drag your feet too long. Like I would say maybe a week to decide before we start having an inventory crunch. So uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely keep that in mind. And again, with the fact that we're going to have a pre and post game podcast for every postseason game for the Chicago White Sox on Sox Machine, your guys' Patreon support 
makes that happen. So if you enjoy our work and you would like to support us and get more from us, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up. And another way that you can help support us, we have the socks machine cog shirts for sale. We just restocked the medium and larges. Uh, so we have all sizes available. The shirts are just $25 and include shipping. I don't know if you saw socks math recently, Jim, but Midway Jimbo was uh, rocking our. I did. Was rocking our socks machine shirt, and he looked good in it. Yeah, we had Jimbo uh, rocking the shirt. We had Pete uh, rocking the uh, glass. So we've had some nice uh, socks machine representation on socks. Uh, the socks math intro videos, and it's uh, greatly appreciated. Yeah, and the guy that actually helps write for stuff on socks machine, Pinos has showed no socks machine stuff. <laughs> None. I'm and sorry to call you out, man, but yeah. come on. <laughs> and since I see the games on a leg, I have no chance, so. <laughs> oh, it's all right, Pinos. We love you, man. But if you would like to help support us and you want some socks machine gear, we do have the socks machine conch shirts for sale. Again, just go to socksmachine.com. You could buy from our store. And again, it's just $25 and includes shipping. And we have sizes from small all the way to 2XL. And we do really appreciate everyone's support. So thank you to our wonderful listeners and followers, which again, you can follow us on Twitter at Socks Machine. That will do it for this episode of Socks Machine Live. Thank you to, to everyone that listen to the live stream really means a lot as this is a special episode because the Chicago White Sox are going to the playoffs for the first time in 12 years. Let's enjoy as far as this uh, event for the White Sox to finally make this accomplishment and let's see what unfolds in the last 10 games of the season and what unfolds in the upcoming postseason. It's great to say that the White Sox are playoff bound. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.